Hi guys and welcome to the Fights Unboxing Podcast, I'm Lukash as always, um, apologies if I sound a little bit off today, I, not, I'm off work sick at the moment, not feeling my best, but um, also why I'm recording this slightly late, but um, it was a busy weekend of boxing and I want to talk about it at least a little bit. Um, there were two title cards, weirdly enough, one on the Friday, one on the Monday, um, the Friday one was um, Luis Alberto Lopez beating Joe Gonzalez, and I'll be talking about that. But um, and Xander uh, Dallas's performance on that card, and um, the other one was, uh, of course, Kenshiro Taraji beating Heki Butler in Japan on Monday. And I will talk a little bit about Hunter Napitani. Um, there was also a card on Friday with Jose um, Zapeda, Jose Zapeda, William Zapeda, which I will talk about briefly. I didn't watch that live, or you know. Um, it wasn't the main event, the main event of the weekend, but uh, Zapeda is always worth. Yeah, very briefly, I'll mention that. There was also apparently another card on Friday, uh, which was apparently very good, but I didn't get the chance to watch it. But I'm going to throw it out there now as a recommendation if you want an action fight. Um, and apparently, uh, it's on the zone. Um, Angel or Angel Fierro versus Brian Zamarupa Rodriguez. Apologies if I get these some of the pronunciations wrong um, but uh, anyway apparently that was a really good action fight I just yeah haven't had the time to watch it we'll do if I have time it's on the zone um, yeah I won't be covering it though um, so let's open with I'll open it with the most the most significant and the most recent one which is the uh, the Japanese card with Kinshiro Taraji because he is I mean he really is rapidly has he became rapidly became one of my favourite fighters he's just so good to watch he's one of the most exciting and in my opinion just one of the coolest fighters in the world just for the way yeah his style is really really damn fun uh, and also really skillful um, and I said it on a couple of tweets in a couple of comments in a couple of places that I comment so you may have seen this opinion from me already um, in terms of attack I don't think there are any fighters who can definitively claim they're better than Kinshiro. There are fighters who can, you know, you'd put equally, you know, high volume <clears throat> aggressive fighters. You'd put equal to his level in terms of creating, you know, creative attacks, the uh, the consistency, the uh, the angles. I'll talk about the te the technical details as far as I can in a second. But um, yeah, you know, I would put him on a level in that sense with fighters like Lomachenko and Chocolatito and uh, Usyk. They will beat him on defense, so he's never, you know, he's, he's. I think for him, there is sort of an unbreakable barrier between just below the top four, five pound for pound, like the really elite of the elite. He's he's kind of got his nose pressed up against glass. I don't think he's ever going to break through that barrier because he's he has defensive issues, which at this point I don't think he's ever going to fix. He's worked on them, he's worked around them, but he works around them. He do, he's not like um, got rid of them, and I I don't think he's ever going to fix them, but. Just for attacking, the attacking sense, it's he does so much, so consistently, and it's just so so creatively that um, you know, I don't think anyone has has a claim to say that they're they're better at that side. So um, so let's talk about it. He was fighting Heggy Butler, who's an experienced guy who's who's um been around. Um, he's been in with a few, and um. And he didn't, you know, sometimes you see fighters in a situation where they're a bit overmatched and they come just to defend and see the rounds out. You know, he's 35 years old. Um, he's been he's been in with, you know, he, he was in with Kyokuchi before, um, with Milan Melindo, you know, both of his two previous uh, world, uh, well, 
he had two previous world title shots uh, lost. He also uh, held a title briefly because he beat Ryuichi Taguchi. Um, so, so I was going to say he's you know he's lost all his title shots. That's not true. Um, but yeah, he's been in he's been a top level fighter for a while. Um, basically, what I'm saying is, no one would have uh, been mad or surprised if Butler had used his considerable experience and skill to play tricky and. You know he was tricky, but he was there to win. He wasn't there to to just box his way to to the end and get you know what I assume was a decent payout um, late on in his career. And that meant we got the best of uh, of Kiyoguchi. And because Butler offered different things, Butler you know some stages he tried to hold his ground and fight, and other stages he did box and move and box and move and try to pop him and keep keep moving. Um, we got to saw the best of uh, of Kenshiro as well, of Taraji, because um, because that meant we got to saw his see his adaptability, and his adaptability is, despite his style being one of uh, you know, looks like he's doing not the same thing. I'm going to get into that later, but he is an in and out, you know, highly aggressive, um, highly mob, um, highly mobility based but aggressive boxer, you know. Kind of like I'm. Um, I mean, the fighter I was compared to him to is Sergio Martinez. I think he's very like Sergio Martinez in his uh, strengths and weaknesses. He has more strengths. He's, I would say, skillful skill. He's uh, got a lot more depth than Martinez. He has some of the same weaknesses in terms of uh, where he lives his head out uh, to get clipped. But um, he's a similar fighter to him. He's also, you know, not unsimilar to to Chocolatito and. Uh, Lomachenko, he doesn't fight quite as close as them. He throws his punches from a little bit further out, and there's a little bit more, um, yeah, a little bit more distance, a little bit more separation. Um, but he is he. There is also a comparison to be made, you know, which is why I made it about five minutes ago. Um, anyway, the point is, he looks like he's fighting all one way all the time, but he showed in this fight pretty clearly that he's able to, you know, be the aggressive fighter or match his opponent when they're meeting him face to face. I would suggest that uh, his opponents meeting him head to head, toe to toe, is the best thing for them because they're more likely to catch him with the uh, you know the vulnerable with the vulnerable moments. But um but just in terms of getting his attacks home, um he can do it either way. So let's talk about briefly about how he does what he does and it, it's kind of difficult because there's so much of it. Like he's he's a very um it's not just complete in terms of he does a lot, but he's very um, composed. He's very um, integrated. Like everything flows together, which obviously is what you want from a really high-level fighter. But it's not like he's building off his jab or he's building off his footwork. Both of those things are excellent, but he builds off one and the other, or one or the other. He builds. You know, sometimes he'll use his jab. Um, he'll use his jab um, to attack and control Butler, and then uh, Butler will be slipping his jab to the right, and then he'll just stop jabbing for a bit, and Butler will aim to slip, and instead he'll clip him from the right hand. You know, he sets his shots up of both his jab and his footwork equally, and uh, yeah, he just can't really separate it out. But you know, let's talk. Let's talk about his jab um, because his jab is. He legitimately has a shot for, uh, uh, in, to be in the conversation for best jab in boxing. Um, it's very accurate and very busy, and. Um, and yeah, he f he works seamlessly behind it, which is you know always important for a jab, and he can vary it up. Um, you know, he's he's got a ramrod jab, he's got a, a whipping jab, he's got a feeding out jab. He's got it's, it's a full package basically, um, and it's so his opponent can't 
prepare. You know, if they, if if Budlon was trying to, you know, like I said, Budlon would slip it often to um, his left, his right, uh, his left Kenshiro's right, and get clocked by the right hand. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try to set up my thoughts here. Yeah, so his jab is completely really varied, and that makes it really hard for opponents to work out what to do with it. But um, you know, it becomes much more difficult when you combine the fact that he's always coming in a slightly different angle. He's one of the, you know, like I say, Sergio Martinez, um, really uh, high energy footwork at distance, um, circling at distance. But then as he comes forward, as he steps forward, he's adjusting the angles constantly, even as he moves. So, um, so not only does his opponent not, you know, um, have to have to fight with both that the both the timing and the uh, f and the um, the style of the jab is going to be different, but the angle it's coming from is going to be um, slightly different every time as well. And um, and that's just the jab. And then it's the follow-ups. And he works. He works a body. He works a head. He throws in combination. He can throw extended combinations, or he can throw uh, one twos. Um, he has a real knack for straight punches. He prefers like the the straight ones to you know he's not a, a uh, he's not a guy who gets into the pocket and throws looping punches around a guard. Um, if he wants to get past the guard, he breaks it down more than, uh, or he or he steps around like he's um, he uses his feet to get around the guard rather than looping punches around it. Which isn't to say he doesn't throw hooks; he does. But there are moments you can see when um, when he throws hooks, he he gets a little bit uh, reachy with it. I'd say um, he is very much. Uh, I mean, I'm damn playing him there. He he, he can clearly throw hooks, um, and you know, I'm I'm just talking about how he's got one of the best variety of punches. In all in all of boxing, um, making it sound like Carter Hooks is a kind of going. You know that's not true, but um, but the punches he notices the most are the straight crisp ones, the the mid range little um, straight shots combinations. Um, but yeah, the point I'm trying to make there is that there is no set pattern to these combinations. It's not like he throws um, rope pre-trained ones, which you know some really good fighters can still do, um, but. Um, but you know, some some fighters they have a huge variety of combinations they can throw. But if you know the pattern, if you figure out a pattern in which they throw them, you know, you know, if they throw that punch first, it's going to be that one, then that one, then that one afterwards, and you can try to roll with it. And with Kenshiro, it's just not really like that. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe deeper deeper analysts than me will find the patterns. I can't speak to that definitively, but um, but he has such a high, like basically anything Butler was doing. Anyway, um, yeah. So what I would say is that in the early rounds, um, Butler, the commentators may mention this as well. Butler was pretty mobile, and he's always a mobile fighter. Like he was active, um, putting punches in as well. He, you know, um, he was trying to work with Taraji, but um, but he was he's he's movement based, based fighter, and he was trying to move. And Taraji was uh, working the body a lot, which you know is what you should be doing in that scenario. And then as Butler slowed down, started to slow down, he started uh, mixing it up, what the body, then the head, what the head, then the body. Uh, and another thing I suppose I should mention, <laughs> just, just as it occurs to me as I'm watching clips uh, or the fight back, uh, is uh, he's incredibly difficult to fight dis uh, judge distance against because he doesn't need to be... He sways back and forward, he moves his weight back and forward above his feet, he has quite a wide stance. Um, and he, you know, not only is he moving in and out with his feet, but he shifts back and forward as he's uh, getting ready to throw the punches, and that, you know, fucks with his, uh, his opponent's timing as well, because you know they they reach for him, 
uh, tried to land a shot on him. Um, this happened to Butler a lot. Um, he tried to land a combination of his own. He'd find Taraji, Taraji uh, stepping, just stepping a bit, uh, swaying back away from it, and then just coming straight forward and punishing him as he tried to recover. Um, I'm kind of babbling <laughs> at the moment. It's a really good. He's a really cool fighter. Um, you know, uh, his performance versus Kiyoguchi was my probably my favourite performance last year. Um, this one didn't, you know, this one didn't blow my mind as much, partly because I've already seen him, um, partly because Butler is you know, not quite a Kiyoguchi, but we saw we saw a lot. We saw an awful lot of what makes him fun. Um, we did see some of his weaknesses. Um, you know, his main weakness, quite simply, is that he, um, as he's retreating, sometimes he um, he gets himself. Not even as he's retreating. Sometimes he just leaves his head up. Um, he stands too upright. Um, you know, despite having a wide stance, sometimes he's getting himself caught with his feet just a, I don't know, a little bit square. Um, and he doesn't really have the position to start slipping punches. And that means he has to back out and he has to. Um, he can get caught on the chin as he's standing straight as he's uh, standing straight up. But that didn't really come into play here. It's getting much much harder to bring that into play. Um, Butler just wasn't in a position to, like, any time he really tried to throw that, this is the thing, he has that vulnerability, but trying to punish it is uh, really difficult. He can pressure, he can counter. <laughs> I'm raving a lot. Um, yeah, um, I don't know, I, apologies if the quality of my break after this hasn't been as good as, uh, as it might have been, but um, but I'm going to wrap up now um, and then just say, if you haven't seen this fight, do watch it, and do watch his fight versus Kiyoguchi if you haven't. Um, yeah. Tension also fought on this card, but I've seen it and I'm not going to talk about it. So, uh, yeah. But my one of my other favourite fighters also fought one of my favourite upcoming fighters, um, um, Unto Nakatani, who um, you may remember from earlier in the year when he uh, outboxed Andrew Maloney on the um, Haney Lomachenko card and then absolutely knocked his head off with uh, what is definitely going to be the knockout of the year, I'd imagine. Um, in this fight, he was fighting um, Artie Cortez, who. Um, had who gave uh, Estrada a much tougher time than we expected last year but since then has had a couple of 10 rounders that he kind of scraped and didn't look very good in but he got an opportunity here and um, yeah it went I wouldn't say about as expected because I think most of us expected Nakatani to um, knock Cortez out eventually but you know that it, Cortez is such an unknown quality that uh, I don't think we can be really shocked about anything that did or didn't happen as far as uh, getting blown out. Um, yeah, Nakatani for the most part did what we thought he was going to do, which is a very busy lead hand, incredibly busy jab, uses length, invite Cortez to come inside and, you know, as he's coming, intercept him with especially um, long shots to the body and, uh, you know, those looping, not quite looping, but yeah, loopy uh, Overhand lifts that he loves, um, as a you know, as a southpaw, um, and uh, and yeah, it was mostly that that that's what we got. Um, Cortez did trouble him a few times, um, especially in the sixth round. There was one moment where um, Nakatani got a bit slack uh, in close, um, you know, because Nakatani likes to get in close. He's probably more um, technically responsible in close defensively. But in this time, this occasion, he got a bit lax, and he had to disengage, and he had his chin straight up in the air. You know, just like I was just talking about with uh, Kenshiro, and uh, and he got clocked as he as he retreated. And Cortez can clearly punch a bit, and that put Nakatani not on the back foot, but made him more um, more cautious for probably the remainder of the fight until like the last round. Um, 
And yeah, so so he boxed out the rest of the fight, and then he kind of tried to close the show, but it wasn't quite enough. He said afterwards that Cortez was too resilient, and that was probably true as well. Cortez looks like he's got a beard on him, but um, but I think it was also about um, you know, he could have finished the fight if he'd have trusted himself to box on the front foot more. Um, okay, things to talk about with Nakatani. Um, his lead hand and me and Taylor have been talking about this for since we first saw Nakatani, uh, which was a while back now. Um, it would have been, you know, twenty. Uh, let me. I'm looking at Cortez's thing. I'm just supposed to look at Nakatani. Yeah, um, it was before Melinda, so 2019. Um, Melinda was the first fight I sort of paid it, uh, you know, watched him fight. Well, actually, it might have been between. Yeah, anyway, it was 2019 that me and Taylor um, first. Uh, first sort of got on to Nakatani um, and the thing that we noticed was his lead hand he has a very busy lead hand and this is actually a conversation I had uh, on Twitter uh, today sorry I'm going to put you on the spot here um, it's not you know um, yeah with our guy Batman boxing and it's not you know it's um, his jab by numbers isn't accurate and um, and we were just conversing about you know how uh, um, Taraji's jab, jab is very accurate and um, you know um, Nakatani could stand he you know he would be capable of probably using just a pinpoint accurate sharp jab to keep his opponents at distance and um, and just score points with it and you know that's yeah fair he could do I don't think um, counting just the uh, um, just looking at the accuracy really explains what he's doing with his jab because um yeah he could do that and he could win fights doing that but what he's got is a uh, what he's doing is he's using his jab completely and it's not just a jab he uses um he uses like cuffing little shots and little hooks and things and uh, he just has a very very active lead hand doing things with it that aren't necessarily jabs but might be scored as jabs by by compu box um but what he's doing with it is um priming his opponent for when he wants them to come in um and so it's not that accurate on paper, but it's doing exactly what he wants it to, which is set them up for, for the intercepting shots, keeps them off balance, keeps them from you know, working too much, and it's uh, it's very unpredictable. And um, this is the thing I um, even before this conversation, you know, this isn't I'm calling one guy out. This is just an opinion I have on Nakatani. Before I apologise if you feel put on the spot. Um, disagreements among friends. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I was also talking about on in the Battle of Twitter comments. Um, I wasn't even watching the fight, but it was just a conversation because uh, I was at work. It was just a conversation that was happening on my lunch break. Um, um, Nakatani, by the numbers, if you look at his percentage, even aside from the jab, is not the most accurate puncher in the world. But my take is, you know, he might not be accurate statistically, but he's so precise because he's using punches he's not really bothered about landing, throwaway punches to land to the ones he wants to. And the ones he wants to, he is so accurate. He's, you know, outside of the really established, you know, outside of um oh, Bud Crawford really, and um potentially in a way and a couple of others, um but outside of like the really, those really powerful pound elite, I can't think of anyone who is as precise at landing his punches exactly where he wants them to as uh Nakatani is consistently. Um uh, you know that showed a little bit in this fight. It showed it showed in other fights that like he's had two separate stoppages from um, when he's damaged an opponent's nose and then just landed shots precisely on the nose. Um, and he had another fight with a. Uh, let me just 
look up the name. He had a fight with um, I think it was yeah, it was um, Ryota Yamauchi um, back in April last year, where that was on the same day I think as or the same weekend as uh, Fundora Sebastian Fundora beat um, Eriksson Lubin and um, post fight pictures of both fighters of Lubin and of um, Yamauchi did the rounds and. Um, uh, Lubin looked destroyed. He'd been in with a thresher with Fundora, and he uh, he'd been you know just caught in the caught in a whirlwind, and his just whole face was completely swollen up from all angles. Um, Yamuchi had taken you know a similar level of miss of um, damage, but it was just a red stripe around his eyes because all of the punches were across his eyes, on his nose, like yeah, the bridge of his nose was damaged, and. Uh, the point of his chin which didn't mark up um, so it was just like he was wearing a mask it was incredible and you see that you know he um, you saw that in some of his work to the body here as well um, he just lands exactly where he wants to he's so precise he's um yeah he's a thinking fighter he's mean as well here yeah, there were a couple of times when he got called out for a little bit of the dark arts let's put it that way um, yeah I w you know I mentioned Bud earlier and I'm not gonna say Nakatani is or you know, is going to reach his level. I don't think it's impossible, but it's too early to say uh, that that's what he's aiming at because you don't, you know, you, you aim for that, but you don't, uh, you can't predict it. You know, a fighter will or he won't. Um, and he's not particularly similar to uh, Bart Crawford in style, like he's a completely different look of fighter, but his intent in a fight is, is probably the most similar of all the younger, like the 25, 26 ish age. Of that age, he's probably the most similar of that range of fighters that I can think of in his intent in the fight and how he approaches it mentally um, which you know is uh, is what we know Bud Crawford most for um, he hasn't got he hasn't quite displayed the um, the consistent finishing instincts that Bud does obviously which partly comes with the weight you just don't hit as hard um, but um, but um, it's also a, you know He's just not, uh, not maybe not quite as focused on finding the precise, you know, finishing punch, but uh, but he has that thing where he'll spend the first three, four rounds seeing what's what, um, you know, seeing, find, bringing out the tempo. He'll win the rounds um, so far more than Bud, but you know his 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 level hasn't been as high, so that's not, a, you know, he's better than Bud doing that thing. It's just. Uh, uh, the level of the opposition, but you know, he, and also he's just longer, so it's easier for him to just kind of jab away and win. Um, yeah, he'll win the early the four rounds, uh, the first three or four rounds, and then he'll go to get to work, and then he'll start trying to land the really big shots. Um, and he'll uh, he'll have a look at the tempo. Um, yeah, and he'll start he'll uh, he'll figure out where what what are the really big shots that he can land, and then he'll start get to work. And then if that doesn't work, he'll back off for a bit which also happened here because he got hurt a bit and then towards the end of the fight he'll seek a finish again um but with like a real eye for you know what he should be doing he loves his body shots but he's um he's also trying to you know teach his opponent coach his opponent what in you know into what he's doing into what he wants them to be doing so um so he wants them lunging inside like he he'll use his jab to bait his opponents to come in, you know, it's not. I'm comparing to into Bud. It's a bit silly, really. Um, it's not the same process, but uh, but it's the same idea. You know, he he's a uh, he's seeing how they react to certain things he does and throwing shots at the weaknesses, and he's seeing how they react to certain things he does and trying to get them either to get them to do them again, or no, I don't want you doing that. I'm going to punish you for that, and I want you to come to me on 
you know, on this one, I want you to leave your your body open. So I'm going to, you know, throw it throw upstairs a bit, and uh, then I'm going to come in with that. Or if I see you covering up to the head, I'm going to throw uppercuts. You know, it's pretty standard stuff for an intelligent boxer. But the focus of he does it and the accuracy with which he does it is um is un, you know it's unusual for a guy. Well, really at all. It's why why I'm so so high on him. Um, and yeah, maybe I'm putting too much uh, on him by even mentioning Bud in the same sentence because I like it. They're not particularly similar, but um, but he has a very high uh, future ahead of him. I would imagine. Um, as far as weaknesses goes, you know, the main one is this tendency when he's at range to use length as his main form of defense. Like he can sometimes get a bit sloppy, and if his opponent. Um, gets to him when he's not expecting it he can get caught when he's in close he's more responsible in this particular instance there was one moment where he got a bit irresponsible um inside and got caught but even that was an uh sort of tending towards the same tendency because he decided he wasn't comfortable inside and he tried to just get outside as fast as possible um and use you know get to his length and didn't consider that he might get caught on the way that, uh, that he could just step back and be fine um, so it's kind of the you know the same mode of thinking that uh, being long is safe for him, and he probably needs to work on that. Um, you know, if he's going to be fighting, you know, Ioka, Estrada, uh, Chocolatito, they're going to be, okay. Chocolatito isn't going to bother him at range, but he is going to get inside him much quicker than he's used to. He's going to avoid some of those intercepting shots. You know, you'd imagine. Uh, and as he moves up the weights, it's definitely going to become more of an issue for him. So he has that to work on, but uh, he's a very tiny fighter. Okay, um, that's that for that card. Uh, we did see also see Anthony Arascaga, um who um, who gave um, gave Kenshiro a uh, a much uh, tougher time than we expected. To be uh, completely honest, um, he fought Gamal Magramo, who's another you know he's a former opponent of Nakatani, um, and uh, I didn't watch this whole fight, but by most accounts. Um, my grandma was winning, um, controlling uh, Oleskwaga more or less, but as Oleskwaga came more and more into it, and then he knocked them out just before the bell uh, at the end of the seventh. A um, little bit of controversy in some quarters, but he was not quite there. Anyway, I'm not going to commit um, comment too much on that because you know I've only seen bits, but uh, but Oleskwaga seems to be one like from what I've read, was reading about it, he isn't. He was. Uh, improving as the fight went on and coming more into it even without you know I'd have to watch the fight in full detail to decide whether he had been setting up the ending he created but um but by all accounts he was improving as the fight went on which also happened against Kenshiro before you know he eventually got finished because you know apart from anything else Kenshiro can keep a pace and then really step on the gas um you know his opponent thinks they've got him and then he steps on the gas and he's gone and that happened to him against uh Kaga but um, Oleskaga was learning his patterns as as that fight went on and if that's what happened here then we might, you know, even though he you know, he's we've seen him in a fight he lost and in a fight he was losing until he scored a turnaround knockout it speaks to an intelligent fighter and I'm interested to see more of him um, yeah, okay, not, not nothing much more to say about that so let me move on to um, to the card on Friday which was Luis Alberto Lopez versus Joe Gonzalez uh, and like I say, I also talk briefly about Zander's IS, but um, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the main event in that much depth because, uh, well, because it wasn't that interesting. <laughs> it was fun. I enjoyed myself watching it. You know, I uh, 
I, got up, I was intending to go out for a walk. I did go out for a walk, but um, but slightly later than I had planned because I stayed, you know, stayed stayed in watching the main event. Um, it was you know pretty early my time, and uh, it was actually Saturday morning my time. Um, and it was fun, you know. It was entertaining. I wasn't bored because if it was bored, I'd have left. Is the point I was trying to make there? Um, but there wasn't, you know, any great moments. There wasn't any. Like, the only real thing to discuss is uh, like. Uh, on a storyline level, is um, is that uh, is the scorecards and even that you know everyone who was watching thought okay, um, Lopez probably has won this, but there was also a certain amount of but potentially Joe Gonzalez has just done enough, um, and then scores came in and they were pretty wide for Lopez and so there's a little bit of why were they so wide, but at the same time it's one of those there were very few rounds where there was definitely one a winner one way or the you know one way or the other there were lots of rounds where you probably scored it to, to Lopez but uh, so you can understand why this you know it was one of those so not that much to say about it that way um, just the fight itself uh, Joe Gonzalez is a pretty um, standard um, you know I'm saying orthodox but that makes him sound like a, you know I'm talking about the stance and uh, um, he is orthodox but um, but that's not what I mean um, He's a pretty uh, template fighter. He's, he fights as a, as you'd ex, you know, a fighter of. Um, he's come forward. He fights behind his jab. He throws nice, neat, neat combinations. He doesn't do anything very weird. Lucio Barça Lopez does everything very weird. So it was, you know, a clash of styles. Uh, Lopez can sometimes be pretty ugly to fight, but this came together quite nicely. Um, yeah. Um, there isn't that much to say about uh, Joe Gonzalez. Like he has the tools of a top-level fighter. He lacks that little bit of X factor, and that really shows in the fact that he's lost to you know he's lost to Dogbay, he's lost to Navarrete, he lost to obviously he lost to Shockle Stevenson, that happens to everyone. But um, and now he's lost to Luis Alberto Lopez. He just lacks that little bit in the in the very top level. And maybe he could find it. He's coached by his dad. Um, he could find it maybe with someone else. But um, yeah, he's he's he's. There's just not that much to say. He's a guy who, who jabs well, works well. Just maybe needs a bit, some bit better sense of creativity and a little bit of a better sense of when to push and when to not. Um, Lopez, on the other hand, is you know he if there is a set of Mexican fighters recently all around this weight division or just you know in or around it um, who have a habit of they look or well, they are technically janky. Um, Navarrete, Lopez, and um, Mauricio Lara are the three I'm thinking of, and um, and they're all known for throwing these big, looping, weird shots with a lot of power that his opponents, that their opponents don't know how to get the, out of the way of. And um, when they first came through, uh, it wasn't at exactly the same time, but you know, around the same time, it was a little bit difficult to say, you know, which of them was best and which of them is. Uh, you know, less so. Um, now it's pretty clear. Like Mauricio Lara is uh, not done because um, you know one loss, one even with a terrible performance, one loss doesn't uh, prove he's done. But he's shown his limitations the most. Like if an opponent comes at him really technically correct, um, he's he's really just relying on a surprising shot um, and his big power, and that you know that's really all he's got. Um, and you know it's not nothing, but. Uh, but he is basically maximising a puncher's chance is what he's doing there. Um, between Lopez and Navarrete, it's a more interesting conversation. 
I would say at this point uh, that Navarrete has to be the best of them because um, you know his performance against uh, um, for God's sake, this was like a week ago. What, I'm doing, what am I doing? Uh, his performance against uh, for fuck's sake, Oscar Valdez was you know really impressive. Like Oscar Valdez is a better fighter than uh, Javier Gonzalez, and uh, Navarrete um, put a beating on him. Um, the Lopez has better footwork than Navarrete. Uh, like he keeps his balance much better. Um, you know, even when he's throwing these big wide shots, he moves better. He just doesn't. Uh, um, you know, when he's not throwing these big wide shots, um, he's doing what he should be defensively sound. He seems he's mobile and you know just keeps his balance perfectly well, which Navarrete doesn't do. It's always a thing that's bothered me with him the most. Um, the reason Navarrete ultimately is currently the better fighter of the two is because. Um, and you saw it in this fight, is that Lopez, even though he maintains a good pace of consistently throwing, he can't really press his advantage. If he hurts an opponent, he can only push it so much before he has to back off. Whereas Navarrete can just throw and throw and throw and throw and throw and throw. And um, quite frankly, what we saw from Lopez in this fight puts into perspective what Navarrete does as completely fucking wild. Because there are two reasons why Lopez has to back off or he has to ease off when he's doing this kind of thing um, they're related um, they're both essentially to do with the fact that when he throws he goes off balance like both of them do um, Lopez wants to and has to recover his balance and that costs him energy um, you know always when you're that over off balance and you're recovering it costs you energy and um, and he can't push that for 12 rounds we've seen him slow down like he, he can't just do that for 12, he not even for 12 rounds if he spends like a 30 seconds trying to chase a broken uh, a hurt fighter he's risking getting himself out um, and he's also he doesn't have the work like the um, he doesn't have the um, the arsenal of punches he doesn't have that big a variety of them and uh, once he is off balance he, the next punch he throws isn't going to be that powerful or that good or you know all of this, that stuff it's just going to take him further off balance um, which is going to leave him vulnerable Lara um, Navarrete is more vulnerable but every punch he throws like, even when he's off balance he's throwing powerful sharp punches and there is something to be said for the fact that the second and third punches Navarrete throws in a combination are counterbalancing the wildness of the first one so they're still wild but they're bringing sort of more back, back into line kind of thing um, bit iffy on that one but you, you can see what I'm saying you know he's um he throws one punch that takes him off balance and then he brings him his next one punch just brings him a bit more back into line it was Navarrete to, um, um I'd say uh, Lopez doesn't have that trick so he has to back off and his footwork not once he's recovered whatever he he gets back and he's um he recovers and then he comes back in um, and he's you know he's good at maintaining that tempo he there's never a moment where you're thinking okay get on get on with it and really um, you know, fights. He's not on his bike, but um, but it is it is the difference between him and Navarrete. But yeah, he's a good awkward fighter. He's going to be difficult for lots of fighters. Um, who I want to see him fight next, you know, it's, it's the thing is is um, I, mean, who I want to see him fight next is a winner of Lee Wood versus um, versus um, Josh Warrington. Um, even though we saw him fight in Warrington before and that was a pretty terrible fight so maybe not so if Lee Wood wins that fight I want to see him fight up Lopez if not you know there are fighters that um, well Robesio Ramirez would be nice um, he's fighting soon um, 
who's he fighting? He's fighting Espinosa on uh, in November. There's a few things happening coming together in November. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah, he's just a he's a guy who's um, you know, even though I don't like love him as a fighter, like um, I don't think he's yeah, you know, he's not my favourite fighter to watch. He's fun, but it's not my you know, he's not a fighter I'm gonna. I mean, I'll go out of my way to watch because it's kind of like my, my thing is watching fights. But, um, you know, I, I'm not going to see his name on a weekend and go, okay, I really want to watch that fight. Um, but uh, it's kind of nice to see a guy just kind of make use of his, you know, work through his limitations, make use of his weirdnesses and get to a level that he didn't necessarily, um, you know, he didn't have the promotional, like the really high promotional backing. But he's just kind of always gone back to the well. He, um, he fought in Britain, in England, a couple of times, and he made the most of it. He um, he's um, he's now made himself a a noteworthy name and a champion. So um, so yeah, that's nice to see. Uh, but that's all I'm going to talk about on this card. Alexander Zayas. I'm not going to talk about that in depth. I'm just going to say that uh, Zayas fought um, the probably probably the the um, the most experienced, the highest level opponent of his career. Uh, in Roberto Valenzuela Jr. and um, you know who has a he has a bunch of losses, but um, but he's you know he's experienced, he's tough, he's uh, he's a good fighter, um, you know, experienced. Um, and Zayas in a couple of his previous fights, his his um, more recent performances, he was kind of looking like um, there were eight rounders uh, against uh, I think it's Ronald Cruz one and uh, Alexis Salazar Flores. And he kind of looked like I wouldn't say he was reaching a limit, but um, he was reaching the area where um, you know he won those fights comfortably, but it was kind of like it, he wasn't really wowing us. And in this fight, he kind of uh, just dominated Venezuela, put a beating on him, and um, put him away, which he hadn't done in his previous two fights. Um, and the difference for me was that he was finally starting to use his skills tactically. Because the thing about Zayas is he has. An incredibly deep tool set for a 21 year old, for a prospect of his age. Um, he can fight just about anywhere at a high level. You know, how high a level that remains to be seen. You know, whether he can fight in the pocket with the top level fighters. Um, but he has a really deep tool set and a really deep set of punches he can do. He has good defense, he has good offense, and it's all pretty smooth and all of that. But um, in his previous two fights, he wasn't choosing. He wasn't controlling the fights, he was just winning them, which sounds like, uh, you know, what's the difference? He was fighting kind of where his opponents wanted to be and just winning on their, you know, winning the fight on their terms. And it was, allowed, you know, he was capable of winning that, but it wasn't, um, he wasn't taking full advantages of everything he's got. And in this fight, he really did. Um, there were two things that he really added. Um, one was work, just working with his jab, uh, working his jab tactically like you know back to the conversation I had with uh, with our lad uh, Batman Boxing um, our lad that's patronising apologies um, back to that conversation I don't bring this up but um, but this is uh, something that uh, does speak to what he's looking for he might enjoy this um, is what I'm saying um, he was really using his jab both to jam damage and to control like he was really using his jab as a fight winning punch um, and then when uh, when Valenzuela wasn't handling it anymore, then he was using his um, his feet to step to make make angles and come in. And he hadn't really been doing that. He'd just kind of been letting the fight fall into where 
you know, wherever he, wherever it happened to go. And in this fight, he was much more choosing when to let that happen. You know, getting getting Venezuela off kilter with the jab and scoring points with the jab, and then going, okay, now I'm taking it inside. And it just like that small change because it wasn't a you know, it's not. I'm gonna say it's not not a difficult thing to do. It is a difficult thing to do for a fighter with the skill set that. Um, that uh, Zayas has is not a difficult thing to do. Like it wasn't. It's not that he added anything in terms of the things he knows how to do. He was doing things he already knew. Um, it was just an, an evolu a small evolution in the timing of when to do them that made a big evolution in in the level of his game. And if he keeps doing that, if he keeps making those choices, he's going to be a really tough opponent at 154 pounds. He's a real prospect to look out for. He's only 21. Um, you know, it'll be a while before he's in a world title shot, but probably not that long a while. He says he wants one now, or at least he's ready for the top challenges. Um, you know, I wouldn't put him in with the best of the best just yet, but put put him on the way. You know, um, but yeah, that's that's that. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going to talk about for that that card. Um, so the last fight I want to talk about, just very briefly, I'm not going to make a lot of, uh, talk a lot about this, um, but um, William Zepeda versus Mesito um, uh, Hester, um, which was, you know, a 6 TKO, TKO, and it was just Zepeda, um, you know, Hester was overmatched, this, you know, let's, let's not be um, beat around the bush here, um, this was, you know, this was not the most impressive win of uh, Zepeda's career, just because, um, you know, he, Hester is not as good as... Um, Jojo Diaz, um, who he did, who he uh, beat the looking shit out of, uh, was it last year? Um, but in any case, it was a good performance by Zepeda, and he's now looking like he's starting to put the consistency together. Because I think for Zepeda, is um, last he had a weird year last year because um, because he had that win, he had that um, seriously impressive, uh, vic like complete dominance over um, Jojo Diaz in. October, you know, about a year ago then, um, and he, um, but earlier in the year he'd had, he'd gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with René Alvarado, who, you know, um, he's good, but he's pretty crude, and he'd, um, he had a, had a really tricky fight against a complete journeyman, uh, Luis Angel and Helviades, uh, where realistically he should have been disqualified, and he just didn't look good at all, um, despite, you know, scoring a KO in a, in the third round, he yeah, he didn't look good in that fight, um, but now he's beaten um, Hester. Um, he beat uh, earlier in the year he beat Arbeloda, um, you know, beat him down, and he scored Jojo Diaz over twelve rounds and just put you know lay a beating on him. So he's getting the consistency, and the consistency he has. He is he's an aggressor. He's a pressure fighter. He's a high volume fighter, like high volume fighter, um, hundred punches around type of thing, and uh, yeah, Hester just couldn't deal with it. He just couldn't deal with the the continued um, intelligent punching, because this is the thing about Rosapeda. His footwork is getting there. He, you know, he's not. Um, he can stand to be a bit more precise. He's still learning. He's not an old. Well, he's twenty seven, so he's not. A, he's not a kid. But he's he's his footwork's fine. Um, but his barrages of punches. He doesn't stop throwing. But um, but his choice about where he puts the punches. You know, he's uh, he's intelligent. He's not just waning on his opponents. And um, Hester had nothing, you know, he just couldn't, he couldn't get away from him, he couldn't stay away from him, and when he put his defences up, he just found them broken down, essentially. And, um, yeah, he's really one to watch. Um, so Pedro now at this point, um, he is, uh, 
He's in the um, lightweight division, and he's hoping for a fight with one of the top guys. Him against Davis would be interesting, because I think he's probably too open, um, you know, Davis with his power. Um, but if Davis doesn't knock him out, he probably just throws too much too well, you know. It would be an interesting one. Um, I don't think Haney's staying down at this division, you know, my, uh, he's got his fight. Is he scheduled? It's not on his box rep, but I'm pretty sure he's uh, scheduled to go up and fight Pro Grey. Um, I would really love to see him fight Haney because I think he might be the perfect opponent in terms of uh, that thing I always talk about with Haney, the little gaps um, that he leaves, just the very small ones. If Cepeda could get close to him, which isn't a given, but if Cepeda could get close to him consistently, he could be the guy to start turning those gaps, small gaps into big ones and really punch him for them. That would be really interesting. Um, him versus Shukul Stevenson, I mean, yeah, let's see the good good guys fight each other. Um, Stevenson's probably just a bit too clean, but who knows, who knows. Um, yeah, it's a good division for him to be in, is what I'm trying to say there. Um, okay, not not too much to say, you know, just apart from, you know, keep an eye on Zepeda. Um Yeah, so next weekend. Next weekend, obviously, the main event is uh, Joyce versus Zhang, the rematch, um, you know, which they're uh, advertising by uh, making, you know, putting putting uh, Joyce's damaged eye on the poster. Um, yeah, I, I'm i not going to preview this so much, but um, I would say that fight seems to have gone down in history as a beating that Joyce took that uh, he doesn't have, uh, not for everyone, but a lot of people see him as not having a realistic way back into this fight. And I think Joyce has a pretty good chance in this fight because um, he, like, he, he did really struggle with the sapple stance in that, but most of the damage came from one punch, the straight left hand down the pipe. And um, I don't think he can adjust his game to deal with that without giving up something else. But he doesn't have to take over the fight from the beginning. He only has to not take enough damage to take over late. Because the thing is, is each round in that fight got closer. Each round was progressively more towards Joyce. I gave Joyce, I think, the fifth. I don't, not everyone did. But even if he didn't, each round was getting closer and Zhang was visibly tiring. So if he can make it to the second round of the fight, he's got a serious chance of winning. So he, does, he doesn't have to overtake Zhang in a massive leap technically. He just has to survive for long enough to, to get to where he needs to be. So I think it's a really good fight. The other fight, um, there's a little... Um, that's in England, and then later on the same night in in, in, in the US, there you have um, you have uh, Richardson Hitchens versus Jose Zepeda, which is um, you know Zepeda is a uh, one of those guys where he's sometimes really you know he, sometimes he's an absolute fucking snorefest, and sometimes he's really fucking cool. Um, Hitchens <laughs> possibly the same thing really. Sometimes he's a snorefest, sometimes he's really fucking cool. cool. Um, Hitchens is kind of a rising fighter. He's been uh, circling contendership for a while, um, and he needs this win. Um, so that's a good one. Um, yeah, um, I will be hopefully you know I'll be covering the Zhang fight, uh, the Joyce fight um, for for Bloody Elbow, um, and I will hopefully be with you next week uh, for to cover the aftermath of both those fights, which I hope turn out to be good. So follow me at Crafty Boxing on Twitter. On, I refuse to call it X. Follow the fight site at the fight site. Read the fight site on thefightsite.com. 
there is a dash in there somewhere you'll find us if you google it and uh, join our patron for you know chance to chat with us on discord and for exclusive content and all of that you know patron stuff and i will see you next time